Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So when I use the term, the word, the doctrine, hell, what comes to mind? Maybe for some of you, you recall a sermon or a type of sermon you heard when you were younger, a camp meeting, revival meeting. I remember as a, uh, as a young boy going to camp meetings and hearing what would be described as hellfire and brimstone preaching, and some of you do too, where the motivation of the particular speaker was to make hell sound as bad as it possibly could to frighten the listeners into responding to Jesus. Uh, maybe when I use the term hell, you reference up in your mind something like a judgment house or where you went, or you walked through, and they had this hell scene of screaming, terrified, tormented individuals that, that, uh, that, that kind of, uh, again, try to frighten individuals into making a decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you look at it a little more academically, and you wonder how in the world can a loving God even think about resigning people or consigning people that he loves and that he made in his image to a place called hell. Uh, In this sermon series, Life, Death, Hell, and Heaven, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to preach three of those sermons. This is not the one I really wanted to preach. This is not an easy subject to deal with. It's hard. It's hard because it, it grates at us that judgment awaits those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. It's a hard subject when we look at the pages of Scripture. John Stott, one of my theological heroes, I wrote my dissertation on John Stott. He said this about hell. He said, I find the concept intolerable and do not understand how people can live with it without either cauterizing their feelings or cracking under the strain. I want to try to do, try to avoid two extremes. One extreme would be merely to deal with hell as an academic subject, where we just talk about it in terms of debate and dissecting the different options regarding hell. We're going to talk about a few objections, but I don't want to spend all of our time there. Uh, On the other side, I don't want this to become a manipulative sermon where you walk out of here thinking, well, the pastor did a good job scaring me. And I don't know what else happened. I don't want to manipulate. So with that said, what I'd like to do is strike a balance. I'd like us to look at what the Bible tells us, what we can be sure the Bible tells us about hell. And believe me, what the Bible says about hell is horrifying enough and striking enough and fearful enough that I don't think there's any need for me to use any manipulative tactics to get us to respond to the biblical truth. With that said, let me start with three objections. Now, there are probably more. In fact, I know there are more. But these are the three major objections, or three of the major objections to the doctrine of hell, as it's been discussed over the years. And these are not new. They've been around for, in some cases, 1,500, years in terms of uh, how we might respond to what the Bible says about the doctrine of hell. The first objection would be universalism. And that's the idea that all people somehow will be saved. 
Uh, and by the way, in, in some ways, I kind of wish universalism were true. I wish that everybody somehow, some way, would find their way under the grace of God and in forgiveness and into salvation. The problem with universalism as a legitimate objection to the doctrine of hell is the fact that it's just not found in Scripture. In fact, the plain teaching of Scripture is clearly not universal in the sense that everyone is saved. The Bible and the gospel is universal in the sense that Jesus came to die for all. He came to die that, so that all might have a way into heaven. But he didn't die so that all will definitely go to heaven. Because in order to receive the gift of salvation, there has to be a response of faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Universalism falls short as an obje objection to the doctrine of hell. There's a second objection to the doctrine of hell, and it's on your worship guide as annihilationism. This is very simply the idea, and some have held this over the years, that eventually those who are in hell will be destroyed. They will not exist in forever torment. They use the word destruction, and destruction is used as a description for hell. One of the passages we'll look at in a moment, 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1, talks about being in everlasting destruction. And so, in one sense, some would take that word and say that eventually the souls of those and the bodies of those that would go into hell will eventually be destroyed forever. And so they're annihilated. They're no longer present. They're no longer existing in eternal tor torment. Problem is, the word destruction, in the way it's used in the New Testament regarding hell, means more exactly what we just sung in that song, Come Ye Sinners. It means ruin. If your car was destroyed because of a car accident, you wouldn't think it no longer exists. You would be under the impression that it is ruined as a car. And that's the sense in which the term destruction is used. Again, I find sympathy with annihilationism as a concept or an objection to hell. The problem is that's just not simply what the Bible teaches. And we'll look at some scriptural uh, examples in just a moment. To give you a third objection to the doctrine of hell, it would be Catholicism, or if we could put it in parentheses, the doctrine of purgatory, that, that hell is not resigned for everybody, but some people who may have heard the gospel and have not responded will have a chance to go into kind of heaven's anteroom, purgatory, and have a way to go into heaven at some particular point in the future. This really was one of the turning points of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. A man by the name of Johann Tetzel uh, preached indulgences, offered, offered the sale of indulgences so that people could go out of purgatory and go to heaven. And, and the phrase went like this, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And so it was a, a money scheme uh, from the Roman Catholic Church and from Johann Tetzel and others that said, if you pay a certain amount of money, then, uh, then your loved ones will go from purgatory in heaven. Uh, Luther had major problems with that particular doctrine, as do I, in no large, no small part, because the Bible doesn't talk about there being a place called purgatory. It's something we'd like to think, but the Bible doesn't talk about it. There's no place in Scripture that identifies there being an anteroom to heaven or a, a way that we, a place that we wait until we finally respond to Christ or experience some element of sanctification. That's just not what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible teach about hell? 
I'm going to read several different verses. I'm not going to ask you to follow along with every single one of them. I'll tell you where they are. I would encourage you to mark them down in your worship guide or if you take notes so you can go back and read them on your own time. But we're going to go through about six or seven different places in Scripture where the Bible talks about what hell is. Because I I don't feel like I am able to do the doctrine of hell justice if I give you my thoughts or my opinions or my ideas or what I'd like it to say. I think we're best suited in just letting Scripture speak to this doctrine and letting God say what hell is for us to hear and for us to understand. There are a couple of Old Testament passages. The first comes from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. And this is the specific element that relates to the doctrine of hell. For their worms shall not die... Their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an an abhorrence to all flesh. Speaking about those who are resigned to condemnation, he's talking about their worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. Jesus picks up on that very language in some of the passages that we're going to read from the New Testament. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 reads this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and to everlasting death. Contempt. Matthew 16, verses 6 through 9. Woe to the world for temptations, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 25, he would be talking about the sheep and the goats. He's talking about the last day when there's a resurrection, the resurrection uh, of those who are faithful and who are believers and also the resurrection of those who are not. In other words, a bodily resurrection. He talks about the sheep being able to go into heaven and the goats not going into heaven. And he uses this specific phrase, and these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. That's Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Jesus talks in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48. He's talking about hell as an unquenchable fire. He's talking about a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, picking up that same phrase from the book of Isaiah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Excuse me, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes that day to be glorified with his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony 
to you was believed. Paul makes it very clear that it's eternal destruction. It's judgment and punishment that Jesus is going to bring upon those who don't believe. Revelation 14, 9 through 11 talks about the Antichrist experiencing judgment and punishment that's eternal, going into the flame and fire forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades, Hades being another term for hell, gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So why must we believe in the doctrine of hell? The first reason we must believe in the doctrine of hell is simply the Bible tells us that hell is a real place. These are just a few of the biblical descriptions and the places where the Bible affirms this terrible doctrine. Say, how in the world can, can God judge humanity this way? Folks, I think one of the reasons that we have trouble thinking about eternal conscious torment and punishment apart from God is because we vastly underestimate the holiness and the greatness of God. Folks, God is creator of the universe, and he is perfectly, absolutely pure. Anytime in the Old and New Testament that someone got to see a vision of God and his holiness and his grandeur, they didn't walk up to him and give him a high five. They didn't even necessarily sing praises to him or talk to him. When they saw God in his holiness, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and John, and others, when they saw God in his holiness, they fell at his feet as though they were dead in humble uh, uh, obedience and uh, they prostrated themselves before God. They had no other recourse because God is holy. And folks, the reason that sinners are separated from God forever and forever is not because specifically they don't believe in Jesus. That's an aspect of sin. But folks, the reason we're separated from God is we're sinners and God is holy when we have offended the holiness and righteousness of God in our sinful nature and in our sinful state, the only way that that sin can be forgiven and atoned for is by the process that God offers us. We can't get to God our own way. And because we can't get to God our own way, when we stand in judgment before God, He is going to set us apart, set those apart who have not believed in Him for judgment and punishment because they are sinners. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's not unjust for God to do that because, folks, every single human person who has a sin nature, we are deserving of separation from God forever and forever. That is what the Bible teaches. We have to believe in the doctrine of hell because that's what the Bible teaches. We also have to believe in the doctrine of hell because Jesus taught the doctrine of hell. Not to really make a distinguishing remark, I mean, God wrote all of the Bible, so Jesus wrote the Bible, whether it was from the pen of Paul or the pen of Isaiah or the pen of Daniel, 
Jesus wrote the Bible, but when Jesus taught on, uh, on topics in the New Testament and the Gospels, he taught on the topic of hell over and over and over again. Folks, if people in our world want to believe anything about Jesus, they want to believe that he is a loving Savior and this kind, gentle teacher who wanted people to do right and be right and be good people in the world. I know secular people, unchristians, non-believers, who like the idea of Jesus who is a good teacher and a person to follow and a person to emulate. But folks, when you open up what Jesus actually taught and what Jesus said, particularly with regard to what Jesus said about the doctrine of hell and the subject of hell, Jesus is just as clear as any other place in the New Testament about what hell is and what it means. He talks about it being eternal. He talks about it being an unquenchable fire. This isn't somebody else's made-up words. This is what Jesus said and what Jesus taught about. And, and for some of us, it may be troubling to think of uh, unquenchable torment, fire, and, and facing that in eternity. But when Jesus gave those indications, he talked about, like in Matthew chapter 25, he said some will go to eternal life. And we like to think of that as eternal life, right? We want to know that forever and forever and forever there's a place called heaven and those of us that know Jesus will go there. But the same term, the exact same term, is what Jesus used to say those who will be separated and will go to hell will go to a place of eternal torment. The same very term. So Jesus isn't mixing words here. There is an eternal conscience, conscious torment for those who are separated from God. We should teach the doctrine of hell because Jesus taught on the doctrine of hell. I want you to get this too. When Jesus preached on the subject of hell, he was talking to religious people. A lot of times, folks, we would like to think as the church that hell is for those out there. In fact... Hell was not created and designed for people to begin with. It, it was made for de the devil and his angels who rebelled against God's holiness and righteousness. It's the place, uh, the lake of fire is the place uh, of Satan's eternal abode. It's where he will be forever and ever. And it is easy for us as Christians to sit around in our holy huddles here in church services and worship services and to think about, man, hell is for all of those pagans and evil folks out there. And we can name them. We can name those folks who are, who are ungodly in the way that they behave, who are abusers, who are immoral, who are unrighteous. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible is utterly clear. If you abide and remain in sin, that is where you'll spend eternity. But when Jesus talked about hell, he didn't go to the prostitutes and tax collectors and say, hell is for you. Almost every occasion where Jesus is talking about hell, the religious leaders of his day are in view. When Jesus talked about hell in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the religious leaders were the ones that were in view, the religious folks. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus has been speaking a, a series of sermons to the religious leaders. He talk, gives woes to the Pharisees and religious leaders in chapter 23 and deals with the same thing, talks about them being the ones to go to hell. Why do we need to recognize that, folks? Because being in a church doesn't automatically make us a believer and guarantee us a place in eternal life. We need to recognize that if Jesus 2,000 years ago was talking to religious leaders and religious people about the possibility of them entering into hell, it is very possible that you and I sitting in a church service might go there as well. 
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he went on after that to say, Some will come up to me and say, We cast out demons in your name. We preach the gospel in your name. We did many signs in your name. And Jesus' words to them will be, Depart from me, I never knew you. Folks, the reason we need to be very clear about whether or not we're going to heaven is because if we don't, what a tragedy it would be for us to enter into eternal torment from the seats of a church service. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've been around churches my whole life, and I'm quite sure there are people in probably every church that I've been in who have sat in church services for a long time and who no more have a relationship with Jesus and sitting in a church service makes you a hymnal. We need to take the words of Jesus seriously. And as a result, because he's preaching to religious people, look in our own hearts and lives and make sure that we know Jesus and that Jesus knows us. There is no more important thing that you and I can settle in our own lives than the eternal destiny of our soul. And this sermon series and the gospel that I preach on a regular basis here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church is aimed at making sure you and I, whether we're children, teenagers, or adults, know for sure that we have a relationship with Jesus and are walking with Him on a regular basis. So what should we do with the doctrine of hell? As we think about this doctrine, as we imagine the eternal conscious torment that will Come to those that we love and those that we care about. What should we do with the doctrine of hell? Let me give you two things. First, the doctrine of hell should motivate us to share the gospel. Plain and simple. If you and I sit here in this worship service today and we open the pages of Scripture and we read about the fact that unbelievers, people, as Paul used the term, who are not obedient to the gospel, have not responded to Jesus. If we read that, and those are the ones that are going to experience eternal judgment in a place called hell, folks, that should motivate us to tell others about Jesus. Because that means that you know people who, based on the way they live their lives and based on the testimony of their lips, they are not following Christ. So where is their destiny? Their destiny is hell. Their destiny is eternal separation from God in physical conscious torment. Whatever that looks like, however painful that is, at the very least we can say this, hell is a place where God is not. There's no hope of peace. There's no hope of love. There's no hope of relationship. There's no, there's no balm to suffering. There's no hope of getting out. There's only you and all of the wicked evil desires that you brought with you into hell. That's what remains there. And so the doctrine of hell should motivate you and I as followers of Jesus to tell others about Christ. Penn Jillette, who is an atheist, uh, known, made known, made famous for his uh, comedy and, and magic shows with Penn and Teller, he said this when someone shared the gospel with him. Here were, here's his words. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and a people could really be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, 
and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He went on to say, I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down at you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Penn Jillette is not a Christian. Not a follower of Jesus. He, he said that about 10 or 11 years ago. But he is exactly right, folks. If you and I, as followers of Jesus, believe that we have received life because Jesus saved us and came to the cross to be our Savior and Redeemer, and we believe the pages of Scripture because that's who we are as followers of Christ, we believe the truths of Scripture, then here's the truth. Those in your family and those in your neighborhoods and those that are your friends and those that are your co-workers that do not know Jesus, the Bible says that their eternal destiny is separation from God forever and forever in a place called hell. If we believe that, if we believe that, then we owe them the gospel. You and I ought to share the good news of Jesus Christ no matter what if we believe that others are going to go to hell. Let me illustrate it this way. There was once a drunkard husband who was spending the evening with his buddies in a tavern. They were drinking it up. They were talking it up. They were having a good old drunken time. And he looked at all his buddies and he told them about his Christian wife. He said, here's what he said to his buddies. He said, if we went home tonight at midnight, we went home. And I told her to get up out of the bed and come make me a meal, make us a meal. You know what she would do? She would get up out of bed and she would make us a meal. And they sort of poked fun at him and he poked fun at that. And through a period of conversations there and time period there, they basically dared him with a bet. They said, I don't believe you. I don't believe she'll do that. And he took the bet. He brought them all home after midnight, went upstairs to his Christian wife and said to her, Hey, we're here. We want a meal and you need to get up and fix us a meal. Christian wife got up out of bed went down, made all of those drunken buddies a meal, cared for them, was kind to them, was gracious to them. And when one of the guys who wasn't quite as drunk as the rest of them asked how in the world she could be so kind and how in the world she could serve them as mean as he was and as mean as they were, here's what she said to them. She said, Sir, when my husband and I were married, we were both sinners. It has pleased God to call me out of that dangerous condition. My husband continues in it. I tremble for his future state. Were he to die as he is, he would be miserable forever. I think it is my duty to render his present existence as comfortable as possible. Her reply silenced all of those drunken men and brought her husband to a place of Christian faith. Folks, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers, if they don't hear the gospel from us, who in the world are they going to hear the gospel from? The doctrine of hell should motivate us to tell others about Jesus. Let me give you a second thing the doctrine of hell should teach us. The doctrine of hell warns us to trust in Jesus alone. 
warns us. It demands of us that we make sure we're trusting in the right thing for our salvation. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 puts it this way. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. That's judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, our text from last week. It's appointed man wants to die and after that, the judgment. Folks, there's going to come a day when every single one of us, regardless of our past, regardless of our blessings, regardless of our privileges, regardless of our church attendance, it doesn't matter what we've been through and experienced in life. Every single one of us is going to die and every single one of us is stand, going to stand before a, the judgment of a holy God. And the only way that we're going to pass through that judgment is if our judgment has already been taken has already been accepted, has already been paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. For everyone who stands before the judgment of God, not in Christ and not in Christ alone, then guess what? They're going to spend eternity separated from God in a sinner's hell. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 10, 28. He said, don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm not going to manipulate you. The torment of hell is enough to scare all of us. I've known I've been a believer since I was 18 years old. I don't doubt that one bit. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And as I was studying for this message this week, it, it was just as fearful to me in my study as it, as it ever was as a teenager. Why? Because hell is a frightening place. It's a frightening place. None of us want to go there. It's not a place you want to end up. You don't want to be separated from God forever. You don't want your family and friends to be separated from God forever. You don't want to be in torment forever. You don't want to not have the, ho- the opportunity for peace and for relationship. And so let me tell you what that means. That means if you're here today and you're not sure of your eternal soul's condition, Jesus is inviting you to life. You may have the excuse, hold on, I don't have my life cleaned up, just like we sang about a minute ago. Don't wait till your life's cleaned up. That's Jesus' job. The only person that can clean your life up, the only person that can cleanse you, the only person that can forgive you, the only person that can take you from an eternal destiny where you're aimed at hell and bring you into heaven is Jesus. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus today. So here's what I would tell you. If you're here today and you're not settled on your soul's eternal destiny, today's the day to trust in Jesus. Respond at the invitation. If you don't want to respond or to have a conversation afterward, I would be more than happy to talk with you and take all the time you need to make sure that your soul is settled and that you are destined for heaven and not for hell. Receive Jesus today. Don't wait another day. Here's the second part of the invitation. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, and you know your soul is settled. And folks, we need to be praying. We need to be sharing. A message on the doctrine of hell should drive us to our knees to beg God to save those that only He can save. It should drive us out of our comfortable living rooms or the places where we reside or the the things that we do that we enjoy. It should drive us away from those things for long enough to look the people in the eye that we love and that we care about and share the good news of Jesus with them. We give the invitation in a moment. Some of you followers of Jesus need to be at this altar praying for people. 
Some of you have a list of individuals that you're asking God to save and have been asking God to save. Well, I'm just here to tell you, over the last few weeks, God is saving some of those that you've been praying for God to save. Only God can do that. So here's a way that we can respond in obedience and faithfulness. Why don't you be at this altar this, this evening? Why don't you pray for those that you know need the gospel? Beg God, ask God to intervene. Let me promise you this. God wants to save them more than you want them saved. You know how I know that? Because he sent Jesus to die on a cross for their sins. He cares about them more than you even could dream about caring for that loved one or that friend or that neighbor. So why don't you get on your knees and why don't you pray for them at the invitation? Beg God to work in their hearts and lives. And then make yourself available and willing to share the good news of Jesus with them. Let me read you this quote from one of the greatest soul winners of all time, Charles Spurgeon. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Stand with me. Let's pray. Our Father... We thank you that you sent your son Jesus that we may have life and not eternal death. As I look out across this congregation tonight, I am so thankful for the life you've given us in Jesus. I'm so thankful for the life you've given me. But Lord God, you didn't just come to give me life. You didn't just come to save us who are here. Father, you came for our brother and you came for our sister. You came for our husband or our wife came for our children and our grandchildren. You came for our neighbors. You came for our co-workers. You came for the nations. You came for the Turks. You came to save people all over the world. And as you have saved us and forgiven us and redeemed us, you have given us the message of life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that not only would we bask in the glory and the wonder of the eternal life that we get to experience through your Son, but Lord, would we be burdened by the reality that those who have not yet trusted in you will not have that life. Father, will you let the doctrine of hell drive us and motivate us to pray, to witness, to invite, and to beg you to save those who are lost. Lord, for those in the room tonight that have not yet trusted in you, for those that are watching at home that have not yet trusted in you, may today be their day of salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, save and redeem only you can. Rescue from a sinner's hell. So, Lord God, life may be experienced, eternal life may be celebrated, and you may be glorified in the work you do in saving us and redeeming us. We pray this in your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.